Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for November 18th of 2018. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHeads.com. And this week on the podcast, we're going to do something we normally don't do. Focus on the last place team in the Eastern Conference. (laughs) Oh wait, it's about the Penguins. That is something we normally do. Uh, yeah, the Penguins, last place in the Eastern Conference. Um, not great, not great. No, but it's not jump off the sinking ship yet, though, either. Not quite, uh, but we are, we have a sizable sample at this point to start tracking trends and stuff like that. It's certainly not... Uh, a five game you kind of really don't know what you have you know we're almost at the 20 game mark we're almost at the infamous american thanksgiving where eight like 80 percent of the teams that are in a playoff spot stay in one good news for pittsburgh what little there is right now is the the metro division is like the pacific that's a mess yeah so at least they're not uh, in the Atlantic. That that would be problematic. Where well, it's, it's you know, it's funny. This is the complete flip of what we said in our previews. You know, right now it's five and three the other way. If the playoffs were held today, yeah, with with the Sabers in there. Yeah, that's a topic that we'll get to, I'm sure. But um. You know, losing to Ottawa, I mean, no matter how you slice it, that you, you're, you're struggling. People are in the locker room are, you know, saying some bold things about what's going to happen, and then you, you come out and, and you lay a dud. I, it, it's funny. Whilst they were winning, they were bleeding shots. We both made that note. Um, And whilst they're losing, they're bleeding shots, if not more shots. This team... This team is never going to be a great defensive team. If they're going to bleed shots, they need to make sure that they create enough shots the other way and high-danger shots at that because they've got the skill level to, to make the most of those. And... I just don't see them maximizing their roster to make that happen. And it's, it's frustrating because you can see at the start of the year and in the preseason that some of the changes they made were pushing them away from the stuff that you and I think made them successful. Yes. And I think it's one of those things that two years in a row, the off seasons have been complete dog shit. Well, we got three more years. Yes, so there's, you know, there's there's a lot to unpack this week. There there was a trade, which obviously we'll talk about. Uh, there was an extension before the trade, or or simultaneously. It was pretty, you know, yeah, close, closely reported. So you know, probably both things were in place relatively same time, and. The goaltending sucks. 
so there's 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 just so much to to dive into and to your point about getting away from who they are well they haven't been who they are for quite some time if we're assuming the who they are is the 2015-16 team well that's, that's where everybody that's looking sort of, like a yeah. an anomaly where you had some depth guys just playing at the top of their ceiling all at the same time, which made for great hockey. It was fun. They deserved to win that Stanley Cup. They were a force. Like, I I have no criticisms of that team. I reckon you got there and you did say that that team could be the anomaly. At some point, I'm not going to go back through our podcast and check it, but I reckon you said that 15-16 season may be the anomaly, particularly because I would have been halfway through the this it would have been halfway through the next season when you could tell this team was struggling, when you could tell that they were riding a PDO in it, situation. Well, no, the, the year before – oh, they were riding it the next year. Yeah. Yeah, correct. HBK was terrible the next year. Uh, now it's just K. <laughs> but – you know, it was a magical run, and the team was firing on all cylinders. After having Mike Johnston bore them to death and, and suffocate the best scorers on the team, Sullivan allowed them to, to get loose and play, and it was uh, a great change of pace, much like when Tarion finally got the axe and Bilesma, um let him play. But as you get going... You know, there are a lot of similarities with the um, progression from both of the uh, Stanley Cup winning coaches and what's happened after. And, yes, Sullivan does have to. But I'll tell you, Bilesman never got Matt Murray, (laughs) Marc-Andre Fleury goaltending. No, and and that is one of those things that Bilesman will, yeah. 2011-12, I really... That's the one year that makes me upset the most. I think that was – they were a really good team that was Stahl's last year, and the flurry in that Flyer series just tanked them. Yeah. But if, uh, um, wasn't, if uh, wasn't any great. one of those, you know, post-09 Penguins teams, except for uh, 2010-11 when they were without Sid and Gino, I – or even 09-10 when they lost to Montreal – because of flurry like they were set to be really good and i think if they get a, a murray performance they win one of those and it's and it still plays out similar i um <clears throat> just with everything that we've just said this does make it really difficult for general managers to assess who they are like if you're if you're Rutherford and and you have the the first cup, it's like my goodness, look at this. We've you know struck lightning in a bottle. Everybody's going to play like that again next year, and that I think is the failing of the general manager, <clears throat> in the sense that it's like oh we've we've nailed this, we've got this right, this mix is perfect, um, and then when they struggled to repeat because you could even if you looked at um, even if you weren't going to use the simplest of um, the new stats range that's out there, you could tell even through the eye test, you could tell this team was struggling. They were getting stuck in their, their zone more. They were bleeding 
uh, war shots against um, the, the 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 hope that they were going to strike lightning in a bottle again with that with that roster for the second cup um, and the lack of activity there, I, I think shows you that that Rutherford is he's like the Titanic. He's just slow at moving. And then you run into this as the, as the iceberg you've got this year. Yeah. The, the second cup clouds a lot because, you know, winning a Stanley cup is winning a Stanley cup. There's no, doesn't matter how you that. do it. Yep. I mean, but it does, it, it has skewed the conversation to where I think some people are surprised at where they are right now, but actually it's been trending this way since 2016, 17 began. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is a situation that you could, you could have rectified in the off season. Cullen wasn't great. The second cup year, you saw decline. It wasn't unacceptable decline. Like he was still a functional, fourth line player he just wasn't as good um but you that's okay he's 70 years old that's fine you're allowed to you're allowed to regress but he wasn't where where he was minnesota or this year which is just he's not functional he shouldn't be anymore and the problem that I see is that, you know, who's going to pull him out of the lineup? Well, Derek Grant, from the looks of it. Because <laughs> the coaching staff's not going to do it, which was what you were going to imply there. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Well, I- so this is this is one of this is one of those situations that I find interesting with coaches that come up from the AHL and start coaching the the NHL team. Bilesman did this, and so did um, Sullivan. They come up, they bring some guys with them that they've had play for them down in the AHL, and they trust them with their life. They will put them in situations you don't expect. The fan base gets excited because those guys are playing above what you're expecting. Um, and everybody thinks the coach is a is a young player whisperer. You get into a situation now with Sullivan, who those guys that you brought up with him are now entrenched in the lineup, rightfully so. Some of them may have moved on, contract reasons or, or whatever. Um, and you've got a situation now where there's young guys that need to come up and, and fill those slots that um, are around the edges of the, the core to obviously keep the team um, afloat and, and keep the team improving, and he doesn't trust them. They're not his guy. So and they're I, not I, as good <clears throat> as the prior. Well, see, how, how do we how do we know about Daniel Sprong? We don't know. Well, he would be the he's, exception he's to this conversation, and he's not Sullivan's guy. And like <laughs> <Clearly>. Zach, <laughs> and Zach Aston Zach Aston Riso wouldn't put into that bunch of people that Sullivan coach. And I think he's got potential to do something along the lines of Sherry and Rust. But you're not going to know that playing where he is in the lineup. So I find it, and this happens across the league. This isn't a, a Penguins only thing. It's it's very annoying when you coaches can ride on that coattails of a couple of good years of their own young guys coming up with them, 
and going, oh, he's a, he gets he, he gets it now. He's one of those um, coaches that gets the younger generation of player, the different generation of hockey player that's out there. But they don't really. They just trust the guys that they know, and then they won't trust the guys that are coming up through the system because they're not their guys. There's no difference in Sullivan as there is to Mike Babcock and, and to Joel Quenville and those guys that are considered um, archaic in the way that they treat their young guys. There's no difference with Sullivan compared to those type of guys. I think Bob Babcock's gotten a little better the last few weeks, but yes, classically speaking, a lot of those Grand Rapid guys, they weren't allowed to play in the NHL till <laughs> like 23, 24. Yeah, and think about some of those guys, and you go, imagine what their numbers would be like career-wise <laughs> if they'd gotten to start at 22 when they probably should have been playing at the start of their peak, not midway or towards the tail end of it. So it's... It's one of the. I, I would like to see a little bit more um, assessment on what Sullivan's been doing with his roster choices because, you know, Sprong's there to be played. Rutherford's given him that tool to take out of the box and go and use, and he's not really wanting to use it right now. And the mistakes that uh, Sprong is apparently making that makes him impossible to play are still being made by those older guys that uh, are apparently irreplaceable. Yeah, and I do think that we have a lot of, there's a lot of truth into the uh, coach being comfortable. But I do also think you, you have to understand that the GM just treated this as a win now, and one of the consequences, um, whether or not you agree with the strategy, that's kind of irrelevant to the point I'm making, uh, he's made one first round pick since 2014 coming here. And so you're not getting the higher likelihood of younger players being able to Correct. contribute. Uh, you know, the one guy he picked, he traded away for Kessel, which is totally fine. That's probably the, in my opinion, it's the pinnacle move Rutherford made was getting Kessel. Absolutely. I have no no criticism of of that move, and I never will because it's been great and it was smart at the time too. Uh, it's not a hindsight thing. That was that was good asset management at the time. But no first rounders equals you really hope and hit on some of these depth uh, picks. But then you look at what they've done the last few years with those, and then you get defensemen who have penalty minutes and, uh, you know, defense-first prospects that don't generate offense in juniors is not a good recipe for professional success. I've, I've definitely shifted into my thinking on this as I've, I've gotten older from when I was just first into hockey and so it's like back in the 90s, early 2000s. You sit there and go, we need somebody that can obviously clear the net. Let's make sure that we... We draft somebody that's got that skill set, right? As I've gotten older, you start to understand that in the draft, that's your chance to hit a home run. That's your chance to pull a rabbit out of the hat. So every draft pick you take, whether it's a forward, a goalie, or a defenseman, grab somebody that everybody says, that guy's skills are amazing, or that guy sees the ice like no other person in his team or at that level. And you just go, right, if this works, look what we're going to get out of it. If it doesn't, well, it's a draft pick. It might it's not no happen. worse than the piece of shit that can't score any points in juniors. 
Correct. And if you are going to go and try and locate that, you know, typical uh, defensive defenseman or somebody that you feel like you need to plug the fourth line, think about how many free agents there are out there that are going to take a contract for one mil or two mil, um, or in Jack Johnson's case, which is the prototypical type of player that we wish the team didn't pick up, and then you overpay for. So you can get that type of play. You shouldn't be drafting those guys. Because even if they do make it, not third they overall. Usually... Yeah, <laughs> which which he yeah. did do. Rutherford yeah. did draft Jack Johnson third overall, and he's been a bag of shit for thirteen years. And I suppose it's, it's that's the issue I have with that signing is that you know you go back to what we said at the start of the podcast. You could start to see where this team was headed after that fifteen sixteen cup win. You could see that. In 16-17, this team didn't have that same magic dust all over it, and they were struggling to, to generate um, shots, or they were or they were struggling to stop shots against. I mean, they got worked which... over by Washington. The goaltending yeah. is just so good, and yeah. they were one Chris Kunitz shot away from losing to the Ottawa Senators in the conference final. But they had that same similar magic, though. They had that time of variant. Game 7 against the, the Senators. Like, okay. Yeah. You've got to beat who's in front of you, and they managed to do that. But the, the, that's, they, weren't, they weren't the same team in 16-17 as they were in 15-16. And, and the inability to admit that, reassess what the team needs, and... and and understand what's going to win in the current NHL is what's hindering this team this year. I mean, this is a recoverable season. They're not out of it by a long way, but they're starting to hit that borderline. If they're seven or eight points out of a wildcard spot at 30 games, they'll struggle to make up the points. Even if they go on a tear that this team can go on, they'll struggle to make up those lost games. It's that, it's, it's that hard because of the, the point system. Yeah, I'm not like... Oh, they're not going to make the playoffs. No, no, I, I realize I, that. I am at, how are they going to win a Stanley Cup? Which is the window they're in. They're not just about making it. Yeah, the the making the playoff thing, is, it's like Sid and Geno's last year. They're scraping, hey, one last run, get a few playoff games. Huge emotional crowd for a send-off for them. No, they're, <laughs> they want to win a Stanley Cup. Every move is being made for that purpose. So I suppose with that, we should, I thought we would lead off with that uh, when the trade was made. I'm like, oh, easy topic to lead off with later in the week. But, you know, with everything that's been going on, uh, yeah, it took us this long to get there. But Carl Hagelin's the first scapegoat. Um, You know, Rutherford came out a week before and really called out veterans that were making money and not doing anything. A lot of people thought that was a Brian... <clears throat> Sorry, Brian Rust um, comment, and very well could still apply, but certainly fits Haglin too. And he's gone. Tanner Pearson in. Your initial thoughts? Um, well, Haglin, Haglin's not cross controlled. So if you're going to trade somebody, he's a good one to trade because you're not going to get anything back for him. If he was going to stay on the roster, because they were succeeding, they were never going to get anything back because he was going to go past the trade deadline. At least with Tanner Pearson, they know how much he's going to cost this season and the next two. So that helps for a team that's 
on the cusp of and, you know right up the top end of the cap. But and and those, I can't, those depth players in that price range. Correct. To, to be yeah. Successful. So, yes. Assuming so they the, play well. <laughs> well, this is the problem. You had Haglund playing with two of the team's best players, and uh, whilst he was contributing to those two guys producing, sort of the issue. The issue you have is that he wasn't producing anything himself. So think of all the assists Gino and Kessel weren't getting because Aglan couldn't put anything in the net himself. Um, it's just it's just frustrating in a sense that this is what the New York Rangers fans always said about Aglan. You get there, he gets into good positions, he does a lot of things right, but ultimately he doesn't produce at a level that you can keep him in your top six and because you need the money. And and we're not talking about keeping him in the top six and he's not getting 50 points. It's He was with the hottest five-on-five players in the league and had like a single point. Yeah, and, and that's, that's not good There's enough. no more favorable usage in the league unless you're with McKinnon and Ratnan or Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand. <laughs> like you're the yeah. third one in something like that. I mean, Kessel Malkin, it's... Yeah, I I very much soured with Carl's Haglund's play uh, the past few years, and he was always good possession. I always appreciated that because at least when he's not producing offense, it's still good defense kind of deal. I think that's where possession plays a, a good role in an offensively struggling player because, you know, at least the puck's not in their their end the whole time. But how much value do you place on that when the usage is so favorable and you're getting nothing offensively? I don't think that possession starts to matter as much. Well, his possession's going to be good because you look at who he's playing with. I, I think when you're in a situation where your possession numbers are good, if you're the player driving the possession, like if you're carrying guys around you, helping them generate shots, but you're not getting any yourself, I'm okay with the lack of offensive production. But quite clearly, he's not the driver of the Malcolm Kessel Haglund line, is he? Yeah, he's not. So instead of him pulling the cart, he's getting he's getting pulled along. In fact, you could say he's dragging the other two down if you wanted to. But I, I don't think that's the case with, with him. The big question is, though, is Tanner Pearson going to be the Tanner Pearson that LA got excited about, or is he going to be the Tanner Pearson of this year and last year? Um, I'm going to answer that momentarily. I do. Okay. The last thing I wanted to point out about Haglin, you know, he was a fourth liner with Hornquist when they won it the second time. During yeah, the that's true. Run. He, they, he, yeah. they were, they neither of them were an injury related for both, but you know it just goes to show he he fell hey, quite far. In it with in with Rutherford being the general manager, having Haglund traded away, I think it's a good thing. Because say this team turned it around with Haglund in it, I wouldn't put it beyond him to re-sign him again for a similar cost deal um i don't know i don't i don't i don't know if they would have done that i think they they kind of knew this was coming to an end and it just was a matter of during the year or after 
Because he's over 30, he would have wanted... Somebody's going to give him similar money. Yeah. I just... It's just... At least for me, at least they, they picked Hornquist out of the two that they were gonna keep. Yeah, and which I don't, I don't disagree with the choice, one or the other. But um, that's only if it was a one or the other had to answer kind of thing. Yeah, and um, people will pick on us at times because we we quibble on the whole. Hornquist needed to be about a four million dollar player and giving him, you know. 5.3 can, can be a problem. But the reason that it's a problem is that you struggle then to fill out the rest of the roster because of that overpay. So... The, well, the, well the you can't have damage. that and then do the Jack Johnson thing. Like, now you're piling on. Now Matt yeah. Cullen is blocking a roster spot. Not that he makes a lot of money, but now, now you got the fringe parts of the roster choices being fucked up. And, and that's... You have bad goaltending, so yep. now what? And as we spoke earlier, your futures, the amount of draft picks and prospects the Penguins have, they can't just totally belligerently trade their way out of this problem because they don't have that uh, surplus anymore. No, Rutherford's that's right. been doing this for a few years now, and eventually with that strategy, uh, which is fine in the win now. They do have the, the two Stanley Cups, and I think that, you know, now is the time, and they're past the point of reversing that trend. But at the same time, you don't have the assets anymore. They're, they're just not there, and you're talking about a first-round pick. That's going to be in the bottom half. It's not like it's a magical first-round pick, you know? Yeah, it's. I always sit there in this situation. And you go, you, you see teams that are expected to make playoffs, and they'll have a, a year similar to this, I suppose, where it all just goes wrong. And you do get there and go, if it goes terribly wrong, like heaven forbid, say Crosby gets injured for a long time, and you know something happens to this roster that turns them into the San Antonio Spurs, and they get lucky enough to get a top five draft pick or something like that. That to me is the only way that you're going to see Pittsburgh renew through the draft because it's not going to, they need something lucky to happen to extend the, the definite cup window attempts with Malcolm Crosby and Kessel and Latang. And it's going to be tough because now Olimata is the popular name right now. And, you know, Mr. Chameleon, at $4 million, if you played him with Latang, like you are Jack Johnson, for some reason um, he gets the preferential treatment with no evidence of being able to play well. And we actually do have a solid bit of evidence that Mata has been fine um, blending in on the top pairing with Latang whenever he has. Um you could bump artificially bump the value of Mata up, but they're choosing to use it on a guy who's never going to actually fulfill any kind of expectation. So now no. you got a mediocre Mata. What kind of trade value does he have? Well, you know, you're going to probably find a like-minded. Well, I guess you get lucky and 
the two cups and he's a top four defender from some general manager. Maybe you combine the first round pick with him. But you're still who what position are you targeting? You know? Well I've I've Where wanted... where do they start to shore up things? I want them to find a puck moving defenseman. I, I want and, and they're like hands teeth, right? And they have one. They have one who's injured. And, and Schultz's value I think at times gets gets lost. Yeah, mm-hmm. injuries are playing a, a legit part of this too, uh, but you kind of you, you you can't expect to go through the whole season untouched by um, injuries, and and the Schultz one's a little longer than the, your standard injury, which makes it a little bit worse. But Sid's missed two games; he doesn't appear to be on a track to miss like a ton. Malkin and Kessel have been good. Latang, thankfully, has only missed like the one game. So, you know, other teams deal with it. Yeah, I, I, they need to. I, I think they need to have a definitive puck moving defenseman on each pair. Somebody that you can trust to skate the puck out, which is what Latang and Schultz can do, and someone that you can trust to hit a breakout pass, first pass. And that's what Latang, Dumoulin, and Schultz can do. Now, usually it's Latang and Dumoulin that play together, so you need to find yourself another third-pairing defenseman that can do that. And I don't know who you have to give up on the roster to acquire that kind of asset that some other team, who quite clearly needs that style of player, is going to give up. And that's where the the Jack Johnson signing is a problem. You know, they brought him in saying, oh, he can hit an outlet pass. Oh, he can get the puck out of the zone. But as we said, time and time again, and this is going to be a, a very beaten dead horse by the end of the season, his career has shown that he's not able to actually do that. I mean, I remember last year, people were, were slagging on Latang for the amount of goals he was on the ice against. I guess he's got the most goals against so far this year. Well, I mean... It's rhetorical, right? <laughs> Correct. I mean, Kessel is second on that list, but he's still been on the ice for 16-4 and 14 against. Johnson's 10-4 and 20 against. Like, that that goals for and against gap is going to be massive by the time we get to the end of the year. And if he's playing on the top pairing, that's not good because you need that you need that top pairing playing with the with the top six, and it means they're getting torched as well. Yeah, and let's lest us not forget, Jack Johnson brought in makes team objectively worse, and what they had to give up to clear that space made them worse from a depth scoring. Uh, Mr. Connor Sherry will be playing against them tomorrow night, and he's got six goals and four assists. I I like the idea of him on the Penguins roster and not Jack Johnson a hell of a lot more. And by and that no was... means, do, am I saying that he's like this awesome, great, untradeable winger? Like he could have been a trade piece, but the cap space clear. I, I was looking back June twenty seventh. I Connor Sheary trade cap space is only as good as what you spend it on. <laughs> They lasted all of four days before they totally fucked that up. 
Well, the other thing is that he was the part of the like Hunwick went with him, right? It's, it's, so he's undoing all of his own errors as a GM. Cor- correct. And, and he's wasting somebody, capital to do it. Somebody put out a tweet that I retweeted, which was pretty much, everyone's asking how Rutherford's going to fix this mess. People are not actually saying that Rutherford's made this mess himself. He's not coming in and trying to change what a, a different general manager's done. This is his team. Comes in, makes these decisions, and then has to try and put the car in reverse and, and get it out of the... The parking slot he's put it in. Every decision um, the last two years, he's gonna. Uh, he ultimately has to undo. I'll give a. I'll give a pass on the Broussard thing because I don't. I that the thought process, the idea of Broussard on this team was the yeah. right one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one felt like they thought that through, and they went, "We need more depth down the middle. That means we can spread the offense down the lineup." And we've got three three lines that teams have to think about stopping. <laughs> you know, not looking great is losing. Well, Ian Cole was gone either way because apparently the coach couldn't be an adult about it. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> how bad could that rift have been to that that whole situation was weird with Ian Cole. Not that yep. Ian Cole is a world beater, but. When we're talking about Jack Johnson eating up cap space as opposed to Ian Cole, like at least you know Cole could do some of these things that helped, you know, that made sense. Yeah. But Philip Gustafson, uh, well, looking at the goalies right now, that's, you know, that guy seemed pretty, as far as goalie prospects go, you hear you hear good things about him. They don't have that option anymore. No, but I've, I'm I'm okay with the three that they have. I, there, there's nothing that that says to me that these three goalies that they've decided to run with because you know obviously giving up Gustafson was a decision for the the cheap version of Brassard. Um, I, I'm okay with the three that they've got. They just need to ride the guy that's playing well at the moment. Well, I think the guy playing better is obviously Casey DeSmith, but I don't know if either of them are, uh, you know, worthy of praise lately. They're giving up, the team's giving up too many high-danger chances. Yep. Like, quality chances. And I mean, you know, Murray got burnt on four of six power plays. 19 of 19 at even strength against Tampa. And, you know, four goals on, I think it might have been seven shots on the on the power play. What are you going to do? Like, you do want your goalie to, to not give up four, but that's Tampa Bay for crying out loud. You, you kind of can't afford to do that. Yeah, it was a hot night for the Tampa power play, but... Penguins weren't shabby cannot, either, by the way. Yeah, they did okay, too. There were, I think, only one goal. The forget which goal. It was even strength. Hawk was at the end. Okay, yep. And... But at the same time, Murray's been dreadful. He's been really pathetic this year. I thought there would be a come down, but man, this is just flat out brutal and unacceptable. Yeah, you can't. So... Win. You cannot win with him playing that way. But at the same time, like no. you said, the high danger chances against. Well, you know. 
maybe not do that, but with the, person, <laughs> with the personnel that they have, they're not a good defending team. And quite frankly, they're not a four-scoring line team. They're barely a two-scoring line team right now. Yeah, it's not good. So, eh, you know, it is what it is. And I suppose suppose we should talk about poor Tanner Pearson because we were going to do that a long time ago. Yeah, so it's funny. Listen to the – I don't know. I can't remember whether it was – it was one of Wyshynski's podcasts that he does, right? And he got there and said, whenever you see Rutherford make a trade like this, you can almost guarantee that the player going back to Pittsburgh is suddenly going to become a 30-goal scorer. And he didn't really sort of say why. But historically, that's kind of one of the things that's happened with Pittsburgh. It's a general rule, usually because they get to play with either Sid or Malkin, and that usually helps. Um, I don't know about this one. I legitimately don't know. Well, I like the I like the stylistic change from speedster with no vision or hands to decent skater that you know my I wasn't I mean I've said it before a lot I wasn't exactly going out of my way to watch the Kings play the last few years because they are a horrible watch um, you know so but the he has better hands than Haglin, obviously. He's not a slow player. Has a big frame. Um, his underlying micro stats for passing are better than Haglin. So it's it's fine. It, that, that's about as good as you were going to do with trading Haglin in a one-for-one deal. Like, yeah. It's really best-case scenario where the guy coming back is cost-controlled at that same price point so you don't have to alter the cap really at all and he he has had 40 point years and 15 goal seasons in the past and they're trading for a guy right now whose shooting percentage is like abysmal and low so and over the his career it's been shown to be not that so so i I suppose the other thing for me is his shots for every year of his career has been above 50%. In fact, some of them have been, you know, over 55. But you get to this year, and LA is a mess. He's like at 44.2 shots for percentage. So he, he was getting tanked wherever he was in the lineup in LA. Like, it's, it is one of those situations where you take him out of LA who are having a a year that's worse than Pittsburgh at the moment, which is sort of hard to say. And, you know, there they theoretically can be a lot of upside here because, like you said, his shooting percentage during his career has been pretty good. And you don't know whether his he's shots for are down, basically because LA are just a mess. So you hope throwing him into a, a lineup of Pittsburgh's like, and have him in the top six with that talent, he can improve on that. But Pittsburgh are getting caved in shots for and against anyway as it is. So he's almost going into a similar situation. Then the Malkin Kessel Pearson line was the worst possession line against the Senators by a lot. But two games in, there's there's really not much to say about it. No, it's he, a simple He does have an assist. No, no, wait, that was with the Kings. 
He's only got one point on the year. I mean, there's a reason yes. the Kings are like, Jesus Christ, all right, whatever, we'll take Hagelin. Like, he's yeah. like he I hasn't mean, been get, playing well. And they get the cap space back. I mean, you know, they can do something with that cap space at the end of the year, whereas they, were, they had Pearson for another two, which is what we've got now. So if, if Pearson doesn't pan out... Yeah, you got him a little bit got, longer, but... He's got to try and fix that again. So... For Rutherford's sake, you hope it works. I um, boy, it'd be really surprising if it was a total bust. He's an eleven percent shooter for his career, and he's got one assist this year. His quality teammate obviously is going to go up because the Penguins' top players are better than the Kings. Although Pearson, over the years, got to play with Carter and Kopitar, uh, Toffoli a lot, so it's not well, like he was. You know, slumming it. No, and that's been the argument. He hasn't had a chance to play with Carter because Carter hasn't been playing. So if you get to put him in a situation where he's playing with those top-line forwards, theoretically, he has the skill sets to be able to hang with them and produce. And that, that's what Pittsburgh have to hope for. And we haven't seen him uh, get a game when Sid, Gino, and Broussard are all in the lineup either. Correct. And I don't particularly care which one of those three centers he ends up clicking with, just as long as he clicks with, with one of them and, and produces. I'm hesitant prefer... to ever pull a pencil from Sid. Well, yeah, I I was hoping it would be Brassard because then you, it forces Sullivan to keep Brassard as your third line center. Yeah, uh, I have that's, a that's a whole other. Yeah, I know. They can transition into um, one of the players. I mean, we beat up Dad earlier. So, um, time to beat up the other guy, which was um, Riley Sheehan. Well, we kept saying he's a tweener. He's not playing like he's not playing like a third line center. He definitely because well, he needs not. to play on the fourth line. Well, yeah, this year he's proving that he's not a tweener at all. <laughs> no, he's you know two million dollar fourth line center. If that. Well, I reckon play him as a fourth line center and see how he goes, because third line third line minutes pits you against top line play. Fourth line minutes are usually extremely sheltered. So throw him there, get Cullen out of the lineup, play Derek Grant because right now what's going on is I don't not working. Derek fucking Grant in the lineup I don't, either. I don't either. I am just saying that. The current status quo isn't working. They don't have Sid, so they're going to have to play one of those centers because Broussard's currently the second-line center, right? So what do you got left? <laughs> yeah. The, the, the lower half of the roster does not help this team ride out an injury to any of their core players. And I suppose you can make that argument with, with Schultz. Like, he, he probably isn't put into that core group of players, but he kind of is. He's that important to the roster because he gives them a, 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 a second pairing that can yeah. move the puck out. Yeah, yeah. They're, again, not built to defend. They're built to move up yeah. the ice. And, you know, past Latang, Dumoulin too. He, he certainly can Dumoulin could do it. He's he's just less effective when he has to be that guy on the line. As I opposed would like to, to be... see a Schultz-Dumoulin combo 
if let's assume Mata sticks around, uh, which I can see where you're headed. Coin yeah. flip. I would play Latang Mata, Schultz, Dumoulin, and now you got yourself. If Dumoulin is as good as people say, and I tend to think that there's evidence there at times that, you know, the things he does well, he does well, and that's getting yeah. the puck, distributing it up. Um, he's a good defender, but. You know, with Hainsey, that was rough for him, as it would be for anybody. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I, I, I would like... The thing is, if Dumoulin did end up playing with Schultz, Schultz is basically a, a not quite as good version of Latang, right? So the risks that Justin Schultz take are the same risks that Latang takes. So it's not like Dumoulin has to change the way he thinks in regards to his positioning on the ice the decision-making that Dumoulin has to make in regards to covering up for an aggressive pinch or um, uh, an end-to-end rush by either of those two players. They, they, they have similar skill sets in, in, in that aspect. So you could separate Dumoulin from Latang and, and go for the chameleon with Latang to see how that rolls up. Because Justin Schultz is, is, is not a Latang, and therefore Marta won't be the best version of Marta if he's going to be that chameleon that, that we think he is. But you can work with that top four. And yeah. you could work with an Alexiak Ruido bottom pairing. But again, it goes back to Jack Johnson is not going to be coming out. They're going so, to die by that sword. It's, yeah. Which they're, is, one, ha, they're not even half a year into year one and it's a train wreck. So it's, it's interesting in that Fans get there and get on plays because of whatever their cap hit value is or their contract value is and the production that they do or don't give you, right? Everyone loves the young guys that come in and produce above whatever your mental expectation is of their cap hit. Um, when players get traded in and, and they're, they're producing below their cap hit, that's when fans get on them. I legitimately think there are coaches out there that go, my general manager signed this guy for X amount of years, I've got it for X amount of time at this cost. I need to play him and make this decision work rather than go, we're 20 games in. Quite clearly, this guy doesn't fit what we need to do. Just sit in. Like he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a no move clause or, or anything like that in his, in his contract. Just sit in. Because then either the general manager has to, to move him, even if it's for, peanuts on the dollar who cares he's not on your roster anymore um or the player will or, or you just have to send him down to the minors and yeah it's like you're bleeding you're bleeding money but it at least forces something else to happen but they're not going to do that they are going to force him into the lineup and keep playing him. Yes. <laughs> it's so long and, but it was and, so predictable. And day one, it was just you, so obvious how this was going to go. I can't believe it still happened. <laughs> I have to write about him. Well, we have complained a little bit pre-podcast at times that this team was very boring. No, not because, right now. <laughs> no, right now. and it, it it is it is interesting that you do need to 
you need your team to, to do something wrong or, or play badly to generate top. Because you're right, it's very hard to just keep talking about the good parts all the time because it's usually the same players. Very rarely is, is it something that's sort of come out of nowhere. So, you know, a mess. Yeah, they're going to have to start stringing together some some victories starting with Buffalo tomorrow night. Buffalo's won five in a row or something. They're, they're a lot of comebacks. Their goaltending has been um, really hot lately with Hutton. They're not – Sabres are still a fringe playoff team. They're just on a, on a good run right now. But they're banking points. They are. Like this is this is the the thing that gets tough for teams that come on hot at the end of the year. Yeah, if you're chasing teams that have points in the bank already, they might lose them in games, but they might lose them in overtime or in a shootout. And you're only getting fifty percent for your win as you're trying to catch up. And they're in the other division. So anybody that's in that Atlantic division, um, it's harder to catch because you don't get to play them. You don't get to try and have four point games in you know, three-point games and stuff like that. So, realistically, everybody in the Metropolitan right now are chasing the Rangers. Yeah, well, the good news for Pittsburgh as opposed to Buffalo is Pittsburgh doesn't have to directly compete with Tampa, Toronto, Boston. No. And that, that t- t- theoretically, aren't Pittsburgh supposed to be the Tampa, Toronto, or Boston? <laughs> yeah, Washington, too, for that matter. I'm a little less worried about I'm less worried about Washington than I am about Pittsburgh, though. Oh yeah. I just feel like they have to stay healthy, and they'll just they'll accumulate wins as they go along. Pittsburgh at the moment don't feel like they can accumulate wins. Yeah, whole you can almost a proven commodity. He's not. Yeah. Gonna you could guarantee you could guarantee Pittsburgh would win three or five through the weeks. You know what I mean? They kind of have to try and start winning three or four now just to claw themselves back into a situation where... Because they'll have another slump. Every team ups, up and down through the year, right? Plays well, plays badly, plays well, plays badly. But when Pittsburgh start to play well, they can't afford to have OT losses or shootout losses or just straight losses. They have to they have to win those games they play well. So they can't dominate a team with possession and have their goalie stink. They've lost that flexibility now. Well, even the games they've played well this year, yeah, that's what um, <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, they, they've they've lost it. They've had they've burnt those games. They can't afford to have any more games with the goalies lose them the game. I'm, and, and it could have easily have been a thing during that 2016-17 run. Oh yeah, it's a good point. Like, actually, <laughs> even average wouldn't have been good enough. No, let they alone, both, both goalies had to be elite. Dog shit. Yeah, both goalies had to be elite for that to work. And they were. Yeah, and, and that's 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 where goalies make it so hard to evaluate what a team is. If you're not looking at the other factors that we like to, to, to look at in regards to what we think is important statistically to be able to assess what your team overall is doing, if you don't look at those things for trend and compare them from one year to the next and and listen to those numbers to help you make decisions, then you end up in a situation where your goaltending is bad 
and the team in front of the goalies aren't capable of, of, of helping them out by reducing shot totals. Yep. And, you know, just because they'll always be tied together. If you're looking at goals saved above average, Flurry has actually been worse than Murray this year. <laughs> Hard to believe, but true. Yeah, he's he's had uh, he's had that come down year. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he was never going to be. Murray's been awful, and he's lower than that. So I think it's a little more than a come down. As like Flurry's had a couple of shutouts as well. So just just think of that in the context of. He's had a couple of games where he's had zero goals against at 100% save percentage, and his numbers are still what they are. I don't think Murray's actually had a, a shutout yet. So, not not pretty. No. So, no matter who they were going with, probably wouldn't look good right now. Yeah, this isn't a, a um, this isn't an argument for. Um, you know, should have kept the other to the other. They made the right choice. It's just that that right choice right now is um, all over the shop. Um, let's see. I guess the, the only person we really didn't cover was, um, I mean, he was briefly mentioned, but Daniel Sprong on a team that's suffering for depth scoring and you're putting in Garrett Wilson and... Derek Grant, who aren't going to really do much for you there. Yeah, what do you got to lose? I you know? think it's I think it's ego. I, I think it's Sullivan wanting to prove a point. I have a feeling that him and Rutherford are waging a little war at the moment. Sullivan's usage the last few years, like. He gets such a free pass. It's tough I to get have it. the I, conversation. I, I legitimately understand why he gets a free pass. You know, he put the Hagelin, Kessel, and Bonero line together. You know? It was mint for so many reasons for Pittsburgh. The the feel-good story with the way the fans attached to it, all those kinds of things. You know what Pittsburgh's like as a fan base. Mm-hmm. And, and players get... You know, if you become a cult figure in Pittsburgh, my favorite player was, you get free wide for quite some time. So they'll look, what happened to Bosman will happen to Sullivan if he doesn't get his head out of his ass, which is they'll turn. And when they turn, they turn. So I'll be curious to see if it starts to happen this year. But it's not like the media that get to go into the room, ask the questions, are particularly are asking particular questions that glean anything for the fan and put a little bit of a microscope on them. It's just tough to watch Jack Johnson fail up and then <laughs> This is gonna be so bad for the whole year. Is in C Sprong given Cullen minutes. Why doesn't the skilled offensive guy make any plays? Well, geez, I mean, come on. Well, the other and that thing doesn't is... mean he's going to be a top six winger in the NHL. It just that shot of his is great. He rang one off the bar <clears throat> against Ottawa. 
You've got to find it, out if he's going to be one or not, though. Yeah, they just don't. You know what Cullen is. Well, maybe this coaching staff don't know what Cullen is because of the type of minutes you're getting. But you know what you've got in Cullen. You know what you've got in Riley Shane. You can quite clearly see what you've got in Grant and Wilson. You can see what they've got there. There's no surprises in, in, in who they are. You don't really know what you've got in Zach Aston Reese either, whether he's a, whether that destroying of his jaw is going to change what he can, can or can't provide because he was looking pretty good in the, the playoff run last year and he struggled a little bit to get back to what he was. But you've got no idea what you've got in Sprong. You had a nine-game sample that you know got everyone excited. And he's been thrown down back to juniors. He's come up to the AHL level. And now the coach is like, no, nah, you make one mistake, you get benched. Colin gets there and gets a fine for tripping and doesn't 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 cop any punishment at all. The, the NHL habit of having a set of rules for youth and a set of rules for, um, we'll call them mature age players, is a joke. And every coach on every team does this. And it is frustrating as a fan. It is frustrating for talent management. And it drives me nuts. Yeah, it's very frustrating. He needs to play a few top nine minutes when Sid, Gino, and Broussard are all healthy. And Colin so, needs to come out. Sheehan, fourth line center. Aston Reese um, in there. So it'll be um, interesting because it's tough to predict what Rutherford will do. Like, I can't sit here and pretend to know what direction, what position he's looking for. I just know the last two years it's been underwhelming. So he's going to have to get back on track. And as a mediocre GM, I suppose, after a string of bad moves, you should be due a good one eventually, I think. That's yeah, what but mediocre that's, is, good and bad. That's, uh, that's for, uh, I hope you're right. It's just, yeah. I just struggled to see it happening. Because you look at his time in Carolina. He was there for forever. And the longer he went on in the one location, I don't don't remember any home run trades the further along he went. It's like he uses all his magic up early and then rides the reputation. But that, you could say, would go for quite a lot of general managers. He needs to talk to that one in Edmonton. Traded for Stahl. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's kind of a blah trade for both hindsight I, he got the better end of the deal on that, though. Sort of. Well, what can you do? Stall's not a number one center. He never was going to be. Yeah, he did get the better end. Because Dumoulin, as good as he is, Stall is a top-end defensive player, whereas Dumoulin's fine at it. The first-round pick is obviously had value. Could have had a Philip Forsberg. Just because... Just the Penguins fucked it up doesn't mean... No, that's exactly right. 
But well, I reckon yeah. that might do us. Yeah, I reckon we've I, around pretty well. I guess the only other guy that didn't talk a lot about a lot was uh, Rust, who needs to be better. But you know, what what more can you really add to that? You know, <laughs> play better. Well, yeah, it, you, it, that almost sweeps across all the players that aren't considered the elite on the roster, really. Yeah, I mean the goalies, the goalies could could have been bailing this slump out. They just they're not like they're not even close to bailing them out at the moment. No, I'm and not. and and that's the that's where. When they do start playing well again, and they will, they can't afford to lead in on one leaky goal. And I don't know if if the Smith or Murray have that in them at the moment. You know, they need to play out of their skin for a little while. And it's tough when everything looks like it's going wrong for everybody on the roster. Well, we'll, we'll end there. Pittsburgh has a four-game week, so... We'll have more to talk about uh, potential trades because, you know, I really do think there'll, there'll be more. It's just a matter of who, how much of it. Like, are we combining Sprung in the first with one of the, like a Rust or a Mata? Um, be interesting to see. So, I'd be really reluctant to give up this year's first, to be perfectly honest. Because uh, if, if this... If this goes pear-shaped, legitimately, if this goes pear-shaped, you're going to auto yourself. And there's nothing to tell me that this team right now can turn this around, even with all the time. Well, Ottawa was, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. No, no, Pittsburgh I, will never be that. I fully appreciate the fact that Ottawa... Although they are that. last in the conference, so there this, is this, this is kind of This is kind of my point. Like, we all kind of expect the... The teams, like, you know, we certainly didn't expect the Islanders and the Rangers to, you know, be up in the, the top three of the Metro at any time wow. during the year, right? 10.54 PDO for the Islanders leads the NHL, so. Yeah, but you have years where that stuff sticks, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if it sticks, they're not going to come down on that until maybe the playoffs or maybe not. Yeah, and with the 20- bad news, nope, oh, sorry. No, no, and we're 20 games in. So, as we said, we're coming up to that arbitrary mark where if you're not in, it's tough to get back in. I, I If Rutherford gives that up to hunt for, and then once you're in, who knows what might happen, to hunt for a wild card spot, I'll be angry because one way to reload this team is to have an accidental, you know, top half of the first draft, first round of the draft pick. That's how you can do it. And yeah, don't give up that first this year. I'm I'm more okay with it, but um, it would have to happen sooner in the year to to make more worth out of what you're trading it for. Get them get yeah. that asset for a longer time. And as I scroll through the PDO, Pittsburgh is actually 13th despite their goaltending. Yeah, the shooting percentage is fine. Well, more than fine. It's yeah, 9.13 as a team. They're bleeding. They're bleeding shots. They're bleeding shots. They're bleeding high danger shots, and the goalies are playing below average. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's not it's not overly complicated, and the players that they were hoping would step up haven't. So if he starts throwing assets around left, right, and centre to try and fix something that is sort of related to what's going on in net, then look out. This team could be a mess. But if the shooting percentage is that high and they're still not getting depth scoring, what if that shooting percentage kind of comes down a little bit? Oh, the pity I'll be tanked. But maybe the goalies start to get their head out of their ass, so I suppose it's a sliding scale either way. Yep. Um, but, yeah. Um, all right. That'll do us. <laughs> I have to get to work. Yeah. iTunes rating. Appreciated. Facebook. Uh, we'll post the link there. Uh, at Walshy66, at Gunnerstall, patreon.com slash hockeyhurts hockeybuzz.com for um, Penguins articles that I do. So um, we'll be back and should uh, should continue to be interesting to talk about the Penguins. So until next time. Bye.